Welcome to Inside Aesthetics, the podcast for cosmetic, wellness, and business insider knowledge. I'm Dr. Jake Sloan, a cosmetic doctor based in Sydney, and I'm joined by my co-host and good friend, David Segal, an entrepreneur and a multi-clinic owner in the aesthetic space. We'll cover any topic that makes you look or feel good with long form, unbiased, and unfiltered conversations with expert guests from around the world. New episodes are released every Friday and you can subscribe for free on your favorite podcast app, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You should seek medical advice before undergoing any treatment or procedure, and these podcasts do not replace a professional and bespoke consultation. Good evening, the ladies from Shape Clinic. How are you both today? We'll start with Nikki. How are you? Well, thank you. How are you? We are very good. And we've got Dr. Dana Lim as well. Dana, it's your second uh, episode with us. So you've you've joined a, a sort of a special club now. Oh, thank you. Is it second or third? I feel like we've spoken more than no. that. No, I interviewed second. you in the last one. So that's that was right. my podcast. That's right. That was on her podcast. So you're getting them mixed up. And, and here we are again. So a little bit of a, a different episode tonight, a bit of a, a different flavor, a different spin on things. We, um, we've we been focusing cos- on cosmetic injectables a lot um, in the last sort of month or so with the Injector Diaries um, mini series that we put out. But a lot of the conversations that we've had over the last couple of years um, we've covered topics in, in regards to skin and more holistically, we've had people on, we were just talking about, we had Harry from Universe Skin on talking about their new skincare range that's come out. We've had Keith Belouche from um, L'Oreal talking about their custom dose and we've had lots and lots of discussions around skin and, and something that comes up quite often in our conversation is how <clears throat> everyone in this industry um, works together or should be working together. So you've got doctors like Jake and Dana who are doing cosmetic injectables, but then we've got the other side of things, which is skin. And it seems that there's a bit of a disconnect yeah, um, for between sure. skin and injectables. And maybe you can talk about this, Jake, because you know it's a topic that's come up a lot between you and I. Oh, 100%. And, and as an injector, uh, you know, for when I studied in the UK and, and worked as an injector, you're a very isolated job uh, by and large, depending on where you work. And so, yes, you inject, but you encounter people obviously every day with multitude of concerns. So, um, we're going to sort of tap into that sort of dynamic where Nikki and Dana work in the same clinic. Dana is, um, you know, sort of a cosmetic physician. Nikki is a skin therapist. And together, you know, I'm sure they bounce patients back and forth and cross-refer and and sort of work as a team. But many clinics don't. Yeah. So we're going to try and sort of introduce um, that sort of dynamic, I guess. Yeah, and maybe some some tips for you know, any of the listeners out there that work in this sort of environment or maybe looking to work with a skin therapist, understanding the benefits and, and how you potentially can work together to achieve ultimately better outcomes for your patients. Why don't we start with you, Nikki? So do you want to introduce yourself? Tell us about your background, what you do at Shape and uh, and so on. And, and some, uh, some, some secrets about Dana. Yes. We want to know. Oh, all, of course, all, all... I've got lots of secrets oh, good. to give away we about like all Dana. the juicy stuff. Good. I yeah, actually yeah. bought Dana a present today, but she doesn't know about that yet. It has something oh. to do with Harry Potter. So there's one oh, of her secrets. I'm a, just... Yeah, just quietly. I'm a Harry Potter fan too, Nikki. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, there you go. Okay. Well, there you go. Um, so, my name's Nikki, as you said. Thank you for having me. I work at Shape Clinic alongside Dana, Dr. Lou, um, Bernice, Sonia. Look, a really, really great team. I guess, how did I get to Shape Clinic? It's an interesting one. I was working for a medical marketing agency and I met Stephen. And Stephen quickly worked out my background and was bringing a compounding product from France, Universe Skin, into his clinic back before anybody else had it in Australia, which was in 2016. And he kind of said to me, you know, will you come along for the ride and will you you do it with me? Because my passion has always been in, you know, skin and ingredients. 
Um, so I work with a brilliant team. I think we work, as you said, really well together. We work unanimously with our clients to get the best aesthetic outcome. And, you know, it's one thing saying that we only do surgery with Dr. Liu or, you know, the girls with injectables, but really if you don't have a good skin, everything else becomes really difficult. And there are things that I guess with, um, injectables or even surgery, you can't correct in a skin. Um, so yeah, that's how it kind of evolved. It's gotten a lot busier over the time that I've been there. Um, it's definitely gone from something that we thought was going to be quite a small component to seeing most of the clients that shape because we have been getting such great results. Yeah. Um, how long did it take for you to sort of build up to that sort of critical mass that you're at now? Because I know a lot of people are thinking, you know, like maybe moving in a different direction, adding a different service to their business. How long is it going to take for it to sort of spool up and become something that's worthwhile having in their business as a revenue stream? Because it is about business at the end of the day, taking care of patients and making sure we've got enough money to pay bills. Yeah, of course, of course. And, you know, I think that where it works with Shape Clinic is that everyone's quite has a really good understanding of the skin and they really believe in it. They're a believer in product. Stephen is a believer in product. Stephen is a believer in, you know, that product really works. And so I think kind of the fact that everybody's involved in it makes it work quite well. Initially, when I first came on, I really just did mainly consultations. I would meet with the clients. I would spend, you know, half an hour with them and get their full history and prescribe products. They would get a great result. But then they were also going elsewhere for treatments elsewhere for treatments was more the pampering luxurious facial type treatment which today I find that people don't actually necessarily want they want something a little bit more active they want something that they couldn't do for themselves at home and that's where this was born so we actually had the clients that were coming into shape requesting that I would then manage their skin and do treatments and that's kind of how it evolved. So I just kind of do a Nikki special. There's no formula <laughs> to it. I do, you know, treatments that you guys would all know, whether it be, you know, baby lasers, whether it be hydrofacials, DMK enzymes, but then I also make up a few along the way. So, yeah. you know, we do that at Shape. We customise and we do a lot of bespoke um, treatments. And, yeah, that's how it just kind of grew from there. Fantastic. What's a baby laser? Eco. Oh, the Pico laser. Okay. Red, red carpet. Yeah. Okay, very nice. Now, Dana, your second episode with us, I was just desperately trying to look at what episode you were on with us. It was episode 98 with Ian Carroll from uh, On Vogue Skin, and you guys were discussing the mystery of the PDO thread. So if any of the listeners missed out on that one, that was a great one, one yeah. of our probably most engaged one, because they were a bit of a mystery when they, yeah. when they were first launched, but now they're crazy popular. Um, Dana, t- remind the listeners about your own background and, and what you do and, and your, uh, you know how you trained, etc. So I'm a cosmetic physician. I've been practicing for like 15 years now. Time really flies. And my background is actually more in emergency. So I transitioned over to cosmetic medicine um, back in 2013, I think. So quite a while back. And it was a slow transition because I'm just one of those cautious types. I don't do a weekend course and then just go out, set myself loose into the world. I slept with an atlas for about um, <laughs> three months and tried to make sure that I knew every single anatomical landmark I should know. And just did it very slowly, very safely. And um, interestingly, I actually went to a cosmetic conference that Stephen was speaking at. I'm like, 
he's Asian. He looks like he knows what he's talking about as he goes here. <laughs> and that's how it all started. Fair enough. And and what are your what are your specialties? Because I, I would describe you as a little bit of a unicorn, even within the cosmetic physician arena, because you don't just inject, you know, you've got a passion with skin, you use lasers, you're a bit of a thread master, you're a key opinion leader in that field. So you probably do a little bit more than your average cosmetic physician. And, and that's one of the reasons why we chose you guys, because I'm sure you work well as a team because you both have the knowledge. Um, whereas, you know, many injectors don't. And, and maybe we'll get into, you know, some of those pitfalls. Um, yeah. So tell us about what, what you sort of do on a day-to-day basis. What's your average caseload and average patient? So, okay, I'm not that ambitious. I only work three days a week. I like my days off for my Harry Potter and comics. But that aside, um, three eight-hour shifts per week, and I probably see anything from eight to 12 patients a day. Like, I don't like seeing that many because it drains my energy, and I want to be fresh for every single person, just Mm -hmm. give them the best of um, what I can offer. So I like to do a full consultation, and generally it's a mix of anything from skin and lasers um, consults for, say, pigmentation, vascular a skin texture, that kind of thing, to uh, skin laxity um, for threads, other devices, whether it's energy, non-energy-based devices, then bread and butters, cosmetic injectables. Um, I have a good mix of anti-wrinkle versus uh, fillers because most people come get, uh, who come get a little bit of both, not just one or the other. And I like to do a, what, what I call a facial, full facial harmonization or beautification. I don't just treat, say, cheeks or lips. Um, I do a little bit of everything. Yeah, right. fantastic. And how does how does that work for you? I mean, because I, I would imagine that most people come in to, to book in to see you initially because they're interested in cosmetic injectables, so your traditional treatments like your anti wrinkle and your fillers, and then you're sort of pivoting onto discussions around lasers, around peels, maybe um, threads and things perhaps they haven't considered before. So how how does that normally work in terms of transitioning people to start thinking about things that perhaps they hadn't considered? before they came in. And if I can just add to that, because this is a common thing that injectors struggle with, um, you know, on their booking system, they'll have certain selections like, you know, consultation, plus or minus treatment. And the patient comes with a very clear idea in mind of what they think they need. And then, you know, someone like yourself might give them a plethora of options and it sort of throws patients sometimes. And actually I've I've noticed they get a bit angry sometimes. (laughs) They're like, I want my filler and I came for filler and you're talking to me about threads or something. So how do you guys do it? Do you just have a consultation and and do you treat on the day um, if if possible? Or is that a blanket? No, you come for a second session. I generally do treat on the day except for lasers, which I need to do skin prep for. So generally, I I practice checklist medicine. Whether it's an emergency cosmetic, it doesn't make a difference to me because I don't want to miss on anything. Um, With uh, skin and injectables, I generally just do the full medical history. Then I start with their uh, skincare products because a lot of people are actually not on the right anti-aging regime. So if you do a checklist, say, step one, step two, step three, you'll cover everything. And it's not about upselling them or, or getting them to buy other things, but genuinely for their own um, skin health. And a jigsaw puzzle, a piecemeal approach is just not good enough in certain areas. Uh, sure, I've got dermal therapists who refer to me um, who have their own independent practices, and they do a great job with their clientele skin. They even have an on-site injector for the basic things like anti-wrinkle, but they don't want to do high risk. So I still get referrals from outside and I have no problem with that at all. But for patients who come to me afresh and they want a full opinion, then I try to offer them what I have to the best of my ability by doing a full medical consultation and then um, prioritize it according to what they think they need. 
Brilliant. And Nikki, what does your average day look like? You know, how many patients might you see a day? What are your typical services? And, and you know, what, what's the average patient wanting? So my days, I actually do two days in the clinic. Um, I can see, obviously, my treatments take a little longer. Um, I like to take my time. I generally run late as well because I talk far too much. <laughs> so I um, will have a day where I see between probably six and nine patients, depending. But we also have a bit of a tag team approach whereby um, the girls may come into my room and take over the treatment that I'm currently doing and I may go into their room because they need a skin consultation. So, you know, Dana is somebody that does a lot of the skin herself in the clinic. Um, as you said, she's really passionate about that. So she's kind of the, you know, she's a bit of an anomaly because not everyone's like that. Like they don't really want to focus on the skin side of things. They just want to do the injectable side. So um, I help out the rest of the girls in the clinic, um, Dana and I as well. We you know, we bounce patients off each other and we share between each other to get the best results. So um, as I said, I might do one of my Nikki treatments, hydrofacials, DMK enzymes. It really kind of depends on what the client needs. Um, and yeah, a lot of it is about consulting and a lot of it is about really trying to get to the bottom of their routine and what skincare they're using. So many times, especially learned this through COVID as I've been doing a lot more education through our Instagram platform, people are so overwhelmed by this industry. There is so much available and unfortunately everybody is an expert. So I try, you know, I try not to sell a million products to clients and I actually, I'm that person that'll say, look, if you're coming to me for the first time, bring me your skincare. Mm -hmm. Bring me your skincare. I'll break it apart for you. I'll tell you what to use. I'll tell you what to finish up. And I'll also tell you what's crap and what you should get rid of. Like I'm very matter of fact like that. Um, I think that there are a lot of very good products on the market, but I think that people get oversold. And that's one thing where, like Dana said, we're not about upselling. We will sell you a product if we truly believe that it's going to work for your skin. And if not, we'll say, you know, great, fabulous thank you you know whatever you're doing at home is great but nine times out of ten people just do not know what they're doing with their skincare products so i think that's where i come in i think i answer that why for people i give them that time i explain to them why they're using a particular product you know you can say to someone oh yeah we all know c ferulic you can say, say to someone i'm going to sell you c ferulic at the end of the day it's a 228 dollar product on top of their already spend on injectables, laser, whatever else it is. And they're kind of like, well, you know, I could go and get the one <laughs> on the supermarket shelf that's called like C Brightening Plus. But when you explain the difference and, you know, what we're looking for and what result we're going to see in the skin and then they see that result, yeah, you know, that's that, that's that okay light bulb moment for them. Yeah. But that's because you're that's a good therapist and yeah. you're explaining it well. Yeah. And that's where I come in. So I, I do spend that time really explaining to people why we use products and why their specific skin condition, whatever that may be, would benefit from it. Yeah. And I think you touch on an interesting point, which is education. I think um, a lot of people feel the need to sell someone something because they maybe have to reach quotas or they're focused on the monetary side of what it is that they're doing. But if you take the time to explain things to people, you, you generally don't have to sell at all. These products sell themselves basically because you've un, you've taken that patient on that journey, explained to them how it works, why it would benefit them, and then the rest take care takes care of itself. Do you, I mean, is that, is that the way that that be every single yeah. product that goes through Shape Clinic is tested? Yeah, we do not. I will. I would never, when I came into Shape, I actually did a sweep out because we had <laughs> a million different brands with a million different products and it was kind of like, oh, my God, you know. But 
every single product that comes in, we test. And I think that's really important because unless you've used it and you've actually seen the change in your skin, be it positive or negative, it's very hard to, you know, recommend it to somebody else. And, you know, I'm not saying that what reacts negatively on my skin would react negatively on everybody's skin. But if it wasn't indicated for me, it's very easy when you understand skin and you understand ingredients It is very easy to look at a bottle and read an ingredient panel and see if it's actually going to work or if it's a marketing fad. And if I know certain ingredients and what's going to work, I'll give it to somebody else in the clinic to try if it's not for me. But everything that we do is tested. And I think that's really important. And as you said, you know, everyone wants to sell skincare product and and we are faced with, um, you know, online companies we're faced with places like mecca and you know they have brilliant brilliant products and this is what i say all the time some of those products that they bring in from international markets are brilliant brilliant products we work with brilliant products as well but we kind of need to get to the bottom of it and it doesn't mean that you know just because one range has 55 SKUs, that there's going to be a product that's brilliant in each of its right to work for your clients so that's where i come in to test a few different product ranges Stephen can get quite annoyed with me sometimes (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> you know, I want to bring in a range, but I only want to bring in two products. But that's the reality. Have you yeah. had any uh, any sort of uh, fails with any testing? Any interesting? Uh, any, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've had lots of fails. Yeah. Look, I've never, as I said on, as I say on my Instagram, when I try and educate people, I'm not one of those. I'm not going to name and shame. But yeah, I've had many fails, you know, and I've ended, ended up testing a product on the right-hand side of my face and left-hand side of my face. And then I've ended up with like full dermatitis down the one side. Once I had I mean, my skin never breaks out. I had full-on acne just over the left-hand side of my face. You know, I know what ingredients are going to induce it. I give it a go a few nights and then I know how to fix it. That's great. Um, But I always go back to my holy grails, I think. Uh, I always like to try new things. I think our clients are really savvy. That's the other thing. They know more than a lot of us do. They are well-versed. They are researched. They are listening to podcasts. They are reading articles. They are trawling through Instagram and watching, you know. They know a lot. So I think that that's where you said, David, the the education really is key because if you don't give that to them, they don't have that confidence that that why hasn't been answered. And as I said, you can kind of go use anything. Do you have the same experience? Because I'll do similar to Dana, like after I've done the the medical consult and everything, I'll ask a brief skin history, even though that's not really my uh, thing in the clinic, but I can cross-refer and I can identify simple things. And it's incredible how many people either don't do anything or they'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, I've got it down pat. And, And then you ask them, well, what are you using? And they're like, oh... I don't actually know what I'm using. I just got this thing from duty free because they told me it was awesome and it smells nice. So we, you know, this whole um, sort of topic has come up again and again. I remember we spoke to Davin about it when we did one on actives and a couple of the dermatologists, but why is skincare so poorly understood? Like, I mean, is it just the, the choice that's out there or is it, is it more than that? I think I think it's a few things. So I think it's just the size of the industry. I think there's so much available and it's really hard to distinguish for, you know, our clients or consumers between supermarket, pharmaceutical. I mean, there's some brilliant pharmaceutical brands like La Roche-Posay is one of my favorite brands. I I tell people to go and buy it 24-7. I reckon I should have shares in, you know, Priceline and Chemist <laughs> Warehouse. Literally, that's how many times I recommend it. But I think that, and then there's a big divide between your glossy products that you find in your department stores, your Meccas, 
adore beauties and us. So I just think there's a lot on the market and I think that there's too many chiefs. Yeah. And also some of these companies, they, they can make all sorts of, they're very clever at the way they market their products so and, and the, the claims. Yeah. Exactly what I said to you. So I think that skincare is poorly understood because it is easy to sell somebody a product and say, that's going to be fantastic for your skin's barrier. It's got ceramides, it's got hyaluronic acid. And people know these words. Consumers know these words. They're all these buzzwords. But then when you actually get down to the nitty gritty and you read the beginning part of the, the ingredient panel and it's all paraffin liquid and maybe the last ingredient there is sodium hyaluronate Mm. and so you and i might know "Mm, yeah that's not going to do that much but when a person uses it it's going to feel a little bit comforting but there's not going to be any change in the skin so i think there's a lack of knowledge in skin ingredients and there's as you say a lot of the marketing hype it's the same as you know buy this pore shrinking or pore minimizing tonic (laughs) i mean like i say to people you can't shrink pores it's not, they don't they don't they don't have a muscle you're not going to shrink your pore you're going to help to stimulate what's going on in a deeper level of the skin with things like retinols and that's going to you know give you the illusion that your pores are shrinking because as we age we notice them more so i think it's as you say all of these clever marketing tools that unfortunately and also we have a lot of influences and obviously that has now become a, a way of life that is a job for a lot of people and they do a brilliant job however sometimes when you love that person that you follow so much and they use a particular product you might think oh yeah that's the perfect product for me but I guess you know the bottom line is what works for your mother's brother's sister's auntie's cousin is not necessarily going to work for you yeah 100%. that's what it comes down to now Dana what are some of the most common misconceptions that your you know injectable patients have when it comes to their skin and thinking that you can you know deliver deliver a toxin or a filler where actually you might be sending them to Nikki. What are the common things that people ask for or, or don't understand? Skin texture, pigmentation, that's all in the superficial layers of the skin. So when it comes to injectables, yes, you can, you can probably make the skin look smoother. For example, if you do some toxin, um, the forehead, but it's not going to fix the underlying issue of skin laxity or, or if the collagen fibers are damaged. So you really need some kind of energy device or uh, skin needling, things like that, collagen stimulating treatments uh, to actually uh, address the root of the problem. So no amount of injectables is going to cure um, cure the root of the problem. Um, so it's about matching. There's no technology that's perfect. You just have to match the right right treatment to the right indication because ultimately the money they're going to pay for it. Um, it's about cost effectiveness for the patient. And they'll think that um, we're trying to upsell them a treatment when it's actually just matching the right technology to what they need. Yeah. I was going to say, do you think that the injectors out there who have gone trigger happy with the PDO threads, do you think that they're trying to, again, solve every problem with one hammer again? I mean, I just see them scattered everywhere in every type of face, young, old, all sort of parts of the face. And yet I've never seen the explanation of the why or you know, what did the face look like prior? What did it look like after? There seems to be this disconnect with what the injector's tools are with actually what the patient needs sometimes, I think. So PDO threads definitely do not address pigmentation. They Mm -hmm. cannot cure any vascular issues because you're uh, you're inducing trauma in the skin. You will cause controlled damage and also um, with the actual hydrolysis of the PDO material itself, Mm -hmm. you will create um, collagen around the core of the thread. So when that, uh, that helical protein contracts, you do get some skin tightening. 
but uh, you have to apply it to the right indications. For example, I'm definitely resistant to any kind of tox. So I use a lot of PDOs in my face um, to strengthen the skin. So while I still have full movement, my skin does not weaken to the state that I, I, I it's beyond um, any help with other technologies. And as an Asian, I also have the risk of um, getting rebound pigmentation from energy treatments. So I'd rather not have to do like a CO2 laser unless it's in the hands of the ex- uh, of an expert, because um, that's probably not going to work the same if it's done in the wrong hands. So I'm just hedging my bets and using what I know will work for my particular indication. In a young face um, that has really not much wrinkling or not much laxity, it's more preventive treatment. The before-after contrast will not be great. So expectations have to be altered to, to match that as well. Whereas someone who's really um, quite old or has really crepey skin, you might be surprised at how much collagen they can make. But ultimately, if they have excess skin that needs to be surgically removed, then that's not going to solve the problem either. So people need to think really hard behind the science of what they're doing. Yeah. Um, the, age, the aging face or aging skin um, is something we're all going to face at some point, pardon the pun. How does that impact the way that you go about a, a treatment on someone's face? You know, patient comes in, lots of laxity, you know, support structures, you know, sort of aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. How do you sort of approach that and sort of re-educate someone on, you know, you need to invest in a period of time of proper skincare. Maybe we need to look at, you know, fixing your canvas thirst through, I guess, biostimulatory um, treatments and so on. So how do you go about having that difficult conversation perhaps with someone who's coming with an expectation you're going to be able to you know fix these issues and they're going to walk out and it's going to be magnificently different but the reality is that there's some work that needs to be done before you can actually get to that point of being able to enhance and shape and and, and so on so i know even from a business perspective there are some patients you have to turn away if their expectations are not going to be realistic they don't want to put in the work It's not even about the money. If they're not going to be compliant with your prescribed um, management plan, then there's no point in continuing the therapeutic relationship. It's just a lot of heartache. But assuming they're fairly reasonable and they're willing to be compliant, then you go through the full medical consultation, you offer them what they need and see what their priorities are because no one has endless pockets. I mean, some do, but not most of the population (laughs) out there. Um, So ultimately, it's uh, I always start with skin because it doesn't hurt. You'll see results over the next few weeks. They see some improvement. It improves the rapport between you and the patient, and it builds trust. And next step, if they want a little bit of minor injectables, yes. Uh, Crepey skin, to some extent, can be improved with, say, things like skin boosters, um, but there's a limit to what can be done. And then you go for uh, the more um, invasive treatments, I suppose, with uh say, lasers, ablative lasers, or other energy devices, which probably require a bit more trust because it hurts more, there's downtime, and the results take a few months to actually manifest. So it's really about uh, matching the technology to the indication and then uh, assessing the patient expectations. And if it's a clear-cut surgical case, and bear in mind surgery cannot improve skin quality, it can reposition and cut away excess tissue, but you cannot improve skin quality. So still, it's a two-pronged approach where you do the skin quality improvement independently because the surgeon also has a better job, uh, has an easier job, I should say, if the skin quality is improved pre-op, the healing and everything, it's just much easier and just gives the patient a better outcome in the long run. 
Do, do you find it works well that you obviously work with the plastic surgeon, Stephen Liu, in your clinic? You know, it's just an easy formal pathway where you're not sort of saying, hey, you need surgery, but actually I don't know where to send you, which is, again, a lot of injectors' difficulty that they know what the problem is, but they just don't have a tool or an even, you know, an, an easy pathway to send these people. And that often, again, sort of um, disappoints people, or creates a bit of friction in that sort of end of the consultation, whereas you've got a nice pathway. You say, well, yes, we actually have a, a world-renowned plastic surgeon here, so go and talk to him about a facelift. So how many? what sort of percentage of patients might you send to Stephen? I'm actually quite impartial in the sense that I know there's certain things certain surgeons are good at. Mm -hmm. I will say my boss does this, this and that. He's really good at that. You should see him, but you should also see a few others for different opinions. See what your rapport with that surgeon is. Uh, and I actually have a few names that I quite like. And whoever is the choice of surgeon will be the one they mesh best with. Because ultimately, it's also about rapport between the surgeon, the amount of trust. And if they don't like your aesthetics, then um, trying to send them to one single person is not going to help. So I like to be impartial in that sense. And I think patients are a lot happier that way. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it it, inc it improves the trust if you're willing to refer outside of your business. You're giving your your boss's name, who happens to be a plastic surgeon, but you're also saying, "Look, he's great, but these people are also great. You should get multiple opinions." Because mm. it sometimes it doesn't even come down to skill. I mean, plastic surgeons are highly highly skilled, highly trained professionals, and there is a certain standard that you expect going to someone with that level of qualification. But quite often it comes down to, do you like that person? Um, do they? understand you are you confident in their abilities to deliver your expectations or do they understand what it really is you're wanting to achieve so i think it's i think that's a really um smart and admirable way that you're going about that because it, it does improve trust and it gives patients options yeah definitely and what, what do your consults look like nikki what what happens in a skin consult for, for a new patient you know, what questions are you asking and do you have any tools to you know assess the skin so when a client comes in to see me, I generally have quite a long list of questions that they need to answer. Um, I like to get the history from even five, eight years before because it all, you know, makes a huge difference. For example, especially when I'm treating people with melasma, they might have had kids a long time ago and that might have brought it out then. I do have the Vizier at the clinic, so I am able to take pictures of the skin, obviously see what's going um on on a deeper level. I get, as I said, the history of their products and I ask a lot of questions. I ask a lot of questions according to what I see on the skin. Um, I guess just with my experience, I've done this for, you know, more than 18, 20 years now. And I can often tell what someone might be suffering with internally um, as a result of what's seen on their skin. So I can often see if people have inflammatory bowel conditions. I can often see if people have polycystic ovarian syndrome, um, any hormonal imbalances. So basically, I think just from period of time of being in that, I know those questions to ask. Um, sometimes during a consultation, I will actually clean the client's skin if they're not having a treatment, just to kind of see how that skin responds. And then, you know, like Dana said, I work with a really good team. So I'm, I'm really lucky. I'm confident in all of them. And if it's something that I can't do to help somebody, or if it's something that I need to refer on, I'll do that. 
or if it's something that we work in tandem to do. Um, so, yeah, I guess I do a really thorough consultation and that's where I answer all those questions. And I think that also gains someone's trust because, you know, they don't want to feel like they're coming into a sausage factory. They're coming for two seconds. You look at them for, you know, and, and off they go. They want to feel looked after. I write notes for people after their appointment so that I'm sure that they're going home and they're not using their vitamin A in the morning and using their <laughs> vitamin C at nighttime because nine times out of ten, that's what they're doing or they're using, you know, two vitamin Cs layered on top of each other because the, the reality is they, unless we walk them through step by step, the names, everything, it's overwhelming. So they're not, you know, 100% with what to do. Yeah, that's yeah. a good point. And tell us about the Vizio. We've, we've got a Vizio in our clinic, but I, I don't know if everyone will know what that is. What, what can it diagnose or see? So the Vizia basically shows me the pigmentation, sun damage on the skin. It shows me the vascularity, how much redness is showing through on the skin. Shows me the porphyrin level, you know, if I'm dealing with someone that has a lot of bacteria in the skin. So the UV damage as well. It also, you know, just gives me an idea going layers deep on what's happening below what the eye can see. So I think that, you know, our clients focus on the surface of the skin and the surface of the skin is really important. And, you know, I actually think we take the surface of the skin for granted a little bit. We're always focusing on what we can do to build up the dermis and what we can, you know, how we can stimulate collagen, elastin, hyaluronic acid. But the reality is we need that surface of our skin. Like if our barrier is not functioning properly, there is no way you're going to make any changes on a deeper level in the skin anyway. So, you know, it kind of gives me a picture of both. And then, guides me and steers me with the right questions to ask. Sometimes I'm a little bit slack, I have to be honest. I don't put everyone in front of the vizier. Um, I'm a little bit naughty because <laughs> I think I've just, I favour looking, touching, feeling. Yeah. Yeah. So. What's, what's the reaction from people normally when they see their skin for the first time on a vizier <laughs> when you see, you think your skin looks great and then you look like Freddy Krueger when you, when that's you see. That's the way they have a heart attack. Like, yeah. you know, you go through the, you go through the numbers and they're always in the red and they're like, oh, what does that mean? So what is that? So there's no going back. I can't fix any of that. What do I do for that? You know, and then they see the UV damage and then they see the pigmentation. They're like, no, that's not really what my skin looks like or the redness, you know? So it's, it's a little bit frightening for them. Um, it is scary. It's scary for me too. God, I remember my first physio shot that I had done. I was like, yeah, and here I thought I had good skin, you know? So, um, there's definitely some patients that, you know, maybe are a little bit more tad on the anxious side that yeah. you kind of would, you know, it's not, it's not something I would do. I wouldn't show them a physio because they would hone in too much on that. So, Yeah. But do you agree that it's a great tool f for you and, and I guess any sort of clinic because it's giving you an objective opinion or, or, or not even opinion, factual data about the skin. It's not just you saying, oh, you need this, this and this. It, it, they can see it and, and, and there's no argument. Uh, and, and you can explain to them why we're focusing on protecting the skin of the daytime or what we need to correct in the skin. Or why am I saying to you, you know, I really think you should go and have a vascular laser with one of the girls. And, you know, you can show them that sort of activity and explain to them that once that damage has occurred, nothing else is really going to fix it. Mm, yeah. you know, no skincare product in the world is going to cauterize your vessels. So, you know, definitely, it definitely guides that process for you and makes it a lot easier. And Sometimes it can be a bit overwhelming, I find, for certain clients because they just don't understand. Um, but definitely your more savvy ones, and you can tell those savvy ones. 
you can tell those ones that are using, you know, top of the line products that, you know, have had a lot of experience. You can tell them from the get go. So those are definitely your busier clients for sure. Yeah. And Dana, oh, question for Dana and for Jake, really. I mean, why do you think from a from a cosmetic physician's perspective, cosmetic injectors physician uh, perspective, why do you think there is such a disconnect um, between what you guys do and what someone like Nikki does or skin therapists? I mean, shapes seem to be an exception to the rule because I've spoken to many therapists over the years, even in my own clinics, where it's very much there's this delineation mm. within the clinic between the therapists take care of the skin and the injectors in the room doing their injections and they don't really cross-pollinate, they don't really fully understand what the other one does or how their treatments complement or sort of work as an adjunct to one another. So why do you think that is? Maybe you can go with Jake, you're sitting next to me, and then we'll go, go <laughs> I was going to say, give it to Dana, okay. I'm the host. Yeah. Okay, we'll go to Dana first. <laughs> and then I'll, I'll answer after. <laughs> sure. Um, I think it boils down to injector passion. So my actual interest is in skin. I've been obsessed with it since I was like in my teens. So I started using actives when I was in med school. And that was when I first got my hands on a credit card and online shopping. (laughs) So it's really about um, what you're interested in, because if you're not passionate about something, you're not going to bother to do the research when there's no money in it for you. I mean, I was spending money on it. I was, I wasn't actually making money off my skin knowledge. And, uh, until there's a, there's a, until we're all on the same page about aging and we look at um, aging as a whole from skin, uh, fat, muscle, just the entire soft tissue structure down to the skeleton because we also lose bone as we age. I mean, that's not so much to do with skin health, but unless you look at the aging human body as a whole, we're never going to be on the same page and there will always be a disconnect. So it's about holistic, um, holistic management of, of any given problem, to be honest. Yeah, I, I think it's just a, a little bit of circumstantial problem that many injectors work independently. They've not been trained in that way. They've, they've learned to inject. They've not learned to look at a face holistically, or even consult holistically sometime. You know, they, they just zoom in on the muscles and, and the fat pads. Um, and, you, you know, like Dana said, it's a passion thing. Like, I have learned a lot about skin in the last few years, but I will hold my hands up and say that someone like Nikki or Dana are, you know, the experts, whereas I'm... I can see problems and I, and I can give some basic advice and my knowledge about actives is pretty good. And, you know, I can give some sensible advice about simple laser care, but I don't do it myself. So I know my boundaries yeah. and, you know, I'll happily refer on to, to our own skin therapist in my clinic or indeed a plastic surgeon if, you know, if, if they need that sort of help. So I don't know if, if ego gets in the way sometimes, you mm-hmm. know, a lot of injectors sort of don't like giving patients to other clinics and you know yeah. they sort of feel like they're going to lose that patient i think there's a bit of that to some extent yeah that's it's actually an, an interest an interesting point i think yeah i mean what do you think nikki i mean you're sort of on the receiving end of referrals that obviously come your way i mean do you find that it's a a fairly easy transition i mean i guess it is much easier internally having it within the one the one clinic where you don't have that issue of, of clients potentially not not coming back or being snapped up by another competitor who potentially offers everything Look, I think even before when I started at Shape Clinic seven years ago, um, everyone was a bit cautious even to refer their patients to me. You know, I think everyone likes to keep their patients and and have the rapport. As you said, we work in a very unique clinic where everybody does skin. Um, it's a big focus for us. Um, you know, I think the two of them go so well together, potentially if people, A, don't have it in their own clinic um, or, you know, if they can find someone that they can refer to. I think that it's a market definitely lost if people are not 
doing it because they're going to get it somewhere else. That's that's what I say to people all the time. You know, they're going to look for a product, whether it be off the supermarket shelf or from you. But, you know, you may as well give them that result. So I think that, you know, they I think they work hand in hand. Like I even, you know, as you said, plastic surgeon Stephen Liu, before he does a facelift, let's say he's doing a facelift on somebody that is mid-60s and has spent the last 45 years in the sun and has worn very little sunscreen, well, you know, giving a facelift and tightening up the skin, it's not going to change the texture. It's not going to change sun damage pigmentation. You know, if you really want them to come out of that surgery with the wow factor, you've got to work on the skin. So to me, it's a no-brainer. To me, they kind of just work hand in hand. So if you're you know, if you're not recommending it yourself, definitely have someone alongside you because I think we've also evolved over the last, you know, few years together and we see as a team how well it works. As I said, you know, often the girls will jump in my room and finish my treatment for me so I can go consult for them and, you know, recommend home care because it just enhances the results of all their aesthetic treatments that they're having anyway. I'm glad you mentioned skincare. Oh, sorry, sun protection. That's our next question. So, oh, yeah. you know, I see so many uh, Australian patients who have got knackered skin. It's just been fried <laughs> and sunbaked. And, you know, you, you, have a com- you have to have a conversation with people about their skin quality. And many of them, you know, they could be 40 plus. They will say, oh, I just wish I knew. Well, and some of them did know when they're in their 20s. They just didn't really care or believe it, I guess. And and then, you know, they see the consequences. So what, do, how do we better educate people about sun protection? Because, you know, it, it really does look terrible sort of, you know, post 45. And so it looks like sort of a, sort of like a leather handbag, doesn't it? It can do. It's oh, totally. extreme. Yeah. We're a sun loving nation. And you know what, Jake, I was, I was the same. God, I used to lie in the sun in my teens, and I'm ashamed to admit it now, but I used to go so brown because that's just yeah, my same. heritage. Guilty, I'm British. And, I, I have to say that because that's yeah, what all Brits do. You probably went, you probably fried yourself. I got the baby oil on, didn't I? To, I was stupid. Yeah. Yes. I never used to burn. I would just go brown. What's fine? I wasn't burning. There was no redness. You know, I was just going brown. You know, town was awesome. So I was one of those. I never, ever, ever, ever put my face into the sun. Um, can't say I always wore sun protection. I maybe probably just put a hat over my face. So I was one of those. So I identify with people. I identify with people that don't like the feel of sunscreen. I have tried 50,000 million sunscreens because I hate the feeling of sunscreen on my skin. So mm. I feel like because I've had that personal experience, it's a lot easier for me. Yeah. So I kind of focus on, you know, whether a client wants a mineral sunscreen because they're nervous of, let's say, the chemicals um, or a, a person wants a chemical sunscreen because they don't want to feel anything on their skin. So for me, I guess I come from that honest place. Like I was like you. I get it. I love the sun. But go and have a spray tan. You know, now I think we are a lot better educated, you know, even though we knew when 20 years ago or whatever, yes, we knew how damaging the sun was. It's, we didn't know to the extent we know today. Same as you saw a lot more people smoking 20 years ago than you possibly see today. You know, it's all kind of evolved. And I think we're teaching our kids from a young age. I have three boys, three, eight and 10. And I can tell you on their school bags, every single one of them have a metal clip with a sunscreen attached to it. It's just 
it's a no-go zone. You know, they want to go out without a rashi on because it's not cool. Well, tough luck. This is this is the result because also now being in shape, I see the amount of melanomas. I see the amount of skin cancer we treat. Like it's real and it's affecting people from a very, very young age. So I think it really is all about education, but I do feel that it's changing. I do feel that, you know, a lot of the people that come in, the damage is done. As you say, leather handbags, like we need to just try and repair it. And they're wearing sunscreen now and that's kind of the best we can do. But they are educating their children and their children are seeing what they look like. And they're saying, well, I look like this because I believe in sunscreen. Yeah. You know, I think we get to that teenager age. It's a bit tough. I'm not there yet. Yeah. 15 to 23 where nothing can nothing can get you. Yeah. You're yeah. totally invincible. <laughs> <Been You know>? <laughs> yeah, totally invincible, exactly. And but I think that where there's definitely more awareness. Um, I think as more sunscreen brands come out and they try and make it quite cool. Yeah. Um, I think it's definitely getting better. But it's something that we, you know, like I say to people, you're not prepared to wear sunscreen, no point in coming to see me. You're wasting your money. Yeah, so it's your number one anti-aging tool. I saw Dana's face look disgusted there when we were saying that we're we're in the sun. If anyone's ever <laughs> she's not, never seen the sun. I was gonna say if you've never met Dana or, or, or we'll try and get these videos eventually <laughs> onto YouTube. I know we keep on saying it. She's like a, a porcelain white Chinese doll. Like there, there's never sun has never touched your skin. Is that right, Dana? Well, I was born and bred in Singapore, which oh. is actually tropical. Okay. And we didn't actually have access to sunscreens because it wasn't, Singapore is really hot and humid. And back in those days, which is, we're talking more than 25 years ago, um, we just didn't really have access to light, um, light textured sunscreen. Mm. So my mother, who's, um, who's one of the, well, she's one of the influencers in my life. She would give me a stick of her makeup and say, you need to stay out of the sun and put this on your face. And it wasn't even the right color match, but I'd still put it on my son faithfully just because she said so. Because my face would never, was never allowed to tan. So I've had relatively good sun protection since I moved to Australia because every kid here knows what slip, slop, slaps, uh, seek and slide. I think it was only slip, slop, slap when I came here, but they added this uh, seek and slide um, just a few years ago. So sun protection really is a big thing here for the new generation, but the knowledge wasn't come in place. But for me personally, I always use an SPF 50, um, well, half a teaspoons full just for my face and neck. I think uh, I'm, pro- I'm probably one of the few people who go through a whole tube of sunscreen every month. And I'm talking about the 250 millirosh per se tube. So, yep. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, Nikki, if you've got that patient coming in that's got the leather handbag skin, what's the typical sort of treatment protocol regime plan that you put together and, and how long does it take to get them to, you know, the end point that you're looking for and, you know, how much of an improvement can you get? And I know you're going to have variabilities depending on age and ethnicity yeah. and how bad the skin's gone, but just talking sort of in, in general terms. And then I wanted to ask you about the skin on the body as well, but we'll maybe just start with that first so I don't overwhelm you with too many double-loaded questions in one year. No, no, that's all good. So let's look. I mean, I have to be – I'm very honest and transparent with my clients. So if someone's going to come in with a leather handbag that has spent that amount of time in the sun, before I do anything, I'm going to suggest that they have a CO2 laser or they have some sort of laser that is going to be ablative mm-hmm. and they're going to get the full peeling. Um, I see very good results from that. And then we kind of formulate a plan. Obviously, before that, we're going to prep the skin so that we get the best results. We also want to put something, uh, start using something that's actually going to boost the immune system of the skin because when we do that, our skin bounces back better. 
So it's all about managing the downtime for the client, I think. Um, then I think some skin, I generally, but it varies, but, you know, there'd be skin needling in there. There would be, I'm a big fan of uh, DMK enzyme masks. Have you guys ever what? seen one of those in action? No, I think we need to book in for a, a sort of a man's couple yeah. treatment. <laughs> yeah. So DMK enzyme is Danae Montague King. Yeah. Um, I actually brought the range into the clinic for two products in their range. One was the enzyme and one is their beta gel, which is something that I have used for the last probably 15 years. Um, But the enzyme is a very, very hard setting mask. It stays on your skin for 45 minutes. Mm. It's a pain in the bum to remove, but the treatment is so good and it works on a back flushing. So what it does is it brings your whole capillary network to the surface of the skin, depending on how well oxygenated your skin is during the treatment. And what it does is it rids wastes and toxins from the cell cleans out the material. It's got no enzymes in it. Don't get me wrong. It's just called an enzyme mask. The setting component of it is egg, albumin. Um, And then it brings forward blood. So sometimes I get a pooling of blood over the chest and neck area. Sometimes I get the full veining throughout the entire face. But there is few treatments that are on the market that I've that I see that sort of result from. It's time consuming though. It can take about 90 minutes to do a treatment. So it's a long time. And for a client to lie there for 45 minutes with a very hard setting mask to the point that you can't open your eyes, you can't talk, you you can't move. There's a heartbeat in your neck. So it's not the most comfortable, but the results are fantastic. And to build up strength in the skin, the immune system of the skin, get the skin functioning the way we want it. You know, as we age, it's all about regulating and speeding up that process. You know, things are going really slowly and they're a lot more sluggish as we age. So there's enzymes thrown in there, bit of mesotherapy. It's generally, you know, and some Nikki specials, but it will (laughs) always involve the girls. It'll always involve the girls. Yeah. Yeah. Because they, I'm a bit, I'm a coward when it comes to treatments. I don't like blood. I don't like redness and swelling and they love it. So, you know, it's, it's, that's all for them. That's yeah. all for them. Sometimes people come into my room and they're like shaking in their boots. What are you going to do to me? I'm like, don't worry. I'm the nice one. at <laughs> I'm the one that's going to look after you, you know, and they have a very pleasant experience with me, but yeah. So it's generally a mix of all of those. Yeah. And, and what about the skin on the body? Because you can't really hit the skin on the body with a CO2 or a full ablative laser anyway. Um, maybe fractionated, but how are you sort of treating the skin on the body safely? And because the last thing you want is a face that looks like it's fully rejuvenated and looking fresh and tight. And then you've got this skin that's sort of on the body that that doesn't really match. Totally. And you know what, David, when you find the answer, let me know. But okay. As you say, we can't do a full ablative laser over the whole body. But I think we have to be realistic in what we can achieve. Definitely fillers into the hands and laser on the back of the hands can make a huge difference because often people forget hands, driving, etc. But I think when we do our treatments, we include decolletage. So I feel like as long as you don't have this stark difference between face and neck, decolletage, you're okay. You know, people are looking at that as a whole. They're not necessarily seeing your arms when they're looking at you, but they're definitely looking at hands and face, neck and deck. And I think that when we treat, we will always incorporate all of that. Yeah. Do you ever use um, like skin needling or mesotherapy on the body? I mean, it seems relatively safe. You're not going to get your pigment issues. And do you see good results with that? And skin needling is great. Also, I've been having, you know, really good results with melasma as well. Yeah. 
um, you know, very, very, very good results because obviously they're heat sensitive. So you need to be really careful. And you also have to manage the expectations of what you can and can't achieve. You know, there's lots of treatments on the market that involve a lot of downtime, but invariably it comes back. And I think that as long as you're honest with your client about that, that's where a lot of people come to me and they've been elsewhere and they'll say, oh, but I thought this was going to cure it. The fact is nothing's going to cure it. You know, it's about managing it. So it's what we do to manage it in the long term for you. And I think that as long as we're honest and transparent you know the clients are they're okay you know they're not expecting you to well certainly I think when I explain it people don't expect miracles you know they're happy to manage it so definitely skin needling as I say over there and as Dana said they don't have endless resources yeah (laughs) you know we have to also be you know that's also I think what comes into it you've got to tailor a treatment for a client the amount of times clients will come to me and you know I I totally respect that they do not have the means to have treatments within the clinic as well as purchase product. And I will go out of my way to research brands outside of the clinic, as I say, like La Roche-Posay or products in the pharmacy and also try them so that I can send them the links to these products so that that, that I know that they're still backing up the treatments with what they're doing at home. And I think there's a good, you know, there's a connection with the gut. Don't get me wrong. I'm not a nutritionist. It is stuff that I've dabbled in and I've done courses on it and the effect on the skin. But I think it's, as Dana said, you know, treating everyone holistically, looking at all of it is the way that we're going to get a good result. But you have to know, you have to understand the skin and you have to understand ingredients. There's a good point. uh, You guys talking about neck and decolletage, because again, when, when these sort of patients come to us injectors and maybe I'll come back to Dana if you didn't have lasers and and I guess even threads which many injectors don't what sort of look uh, would you be sending to Nikki or Stephen like wh- wh- where do you decide whether the skin is you know saggy and loose and crepey that needs Nikki's help versus Stephen's you know like a, no- a lower neck lift or maybe even a full facelift and neck lift So it comes down to whether there's excess tissue that needs to be removed because ultimately surgery really doesn't improve skin quality. Um, We can say we're repairing a muscle, we're tightening up stuff. You're actually not tightening up anything physically. You're just removing the excess and repositioning it. So it drapes better. So physically, it look, well, aesthetically, I should say, it looks better. But the quality of the skin itself, the texture, elasticity, the um, thickness of the dermis, that has not changed with the surgery. And in fact, uh, it can often um, take a step back because uh, you're often malnutrished, uh, malnourished after surgery if you don't take in the proper nutrients. Mm. And then skin healing takes a step back in that direction. Yeah, I remember seeing a patient just this week and she was very skinny. She had the platysmal bands, the leathery skin, but also the inner, the inelastic skin. So it was sort of hanging around the neck and wasn't really sure what to say to her because like you said, a facelift would just drag back basically skin on muscle there was no fat or dermis or anything there it was just really thin papery skin um so yeah those are tricky ones i I would assume you would start some laser treatment to try and build the collagen and thicken it up and then see where you are in six months would you agree with that nikki yeah definitely and i'd often put them on a retinol as well to try and stimulate some collagen and regulate what was going on in that area. Yeah. And, and what about, um, sorry, going back to Dana, what about the biostimulatory fillers like the hyperdiluted radius uh, in that particular circumstance? Do you think it's going to roll or is, is that sort of quite emaciated to loose skin patient better off with, with laser in your opinion? 
it all depends on the the thickness of the dermis itself. If there's actually enough room to inject a dilute biostimulator, you can try to get it in the exact right depth. Mm -hmm. But often, um, a lot of people get it slightly too deep. So it ends up being superficial, subcutaneous, and well, it provides some padding, but a lot of the time it just gets washed away uh, for, uh, because it's just not in the right plane. Yeah. Uh, with laser, it all depends on skin sensitivity and how uh, what Fitzpatrick skin type they are because if they're peaches and cream type 1, 2, even type 3, a light type 3, you can probably do a very strong laser that will stimulate um, collagen. But the types 4 and 5 and above, like you, you really cannot do high, high um, energy treatments on that. Uh, you can try skin kneeling, but again, boils down to skin sensitivity. Theoretically, the skin barrier does actually get better in the long run, but some people will just not tolerate it or um, the numbing cream itself can cause uh, impaired skin barrier function and cause a dermatitis that's full-blown. So, so it's a delicate balance between what their skin, their biology can tolerate and what technology you have on hand, really. Yeah. Yeah, and what about post-surgical patients, Nikki? Mm. You, you obviously must see, uh, you know, post-blepharoplasty, um, I guess breast augmentation, any scar, I guess really. What what do you have up up your sleeve to help these people's, um, I guess, healing, but also you know, preventing uh, red scars and keloided scars? So lucky for me, that's that's Stephen's department with his surgical nurse. <laughs> right. See, he has some, he has someone for everything. Yeah. Um, but you know, Jake, I actually see. Uh, surgical patients a lot more before their surgery and the reason being is because often we want to fix the skin before they go down the path of surgery because yeah. when you come out from a facelift and your skin looks great and you're glowing healthy radiant your texture's good the result is that much better for them mm. um, so often we will treat prior to surgery and we will treat quite aggressively right. prior to surgery so when we're done surgery we're actually we're on the home stretch. Have you ever had patients? Stephen oh, has, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Stephen has a very unique suturing technique. So, you know, lucky for us and the surgical nurse, his his scarring is generally. I mean, you don't you don't see scarring, but he obviously has his management with his silicone gels, and we do a lot of lights post surgery. So most of our clients would come in and have the lights um, post surgery, and that's you know, great for healing, speeding up the healing, speeding up the collagen production in the skin, reducing inflammation, speeding up, you know, helping the immune system. Um, but yeah, if if I'm talking surgical patients, I'm doing a lot more work beforehand. And that's just on product, you know, that's not necessarily them having treatments. Some will need some skin needling, some will need some laser after having the surgery. We generally will go and do the laser afterwards. Um, but generally with skin product is how we treat before. Have you ever had a patient that um, was booked in for a surgical procedure like a facelift and then you've done such an amazing job with all of your pre-surgical uh, <laughs> routine that they've gone, you know what, I actually don't need this facelift anymore? Sorry, that, Stephen. Has that, yeah, that, <laughs> that ever happened? I'd love to say yes, but I'd, I'd, I'd be lying. No, <laughs> definitely, with my, definitely with injectables. You know, my clients often say to me, I don't know if this is good or bad for business, but they say, you know, I don't have to have it as often. And that's the reality. They don't have to have their, particularly Botox, they don't have to have it as often because their skin doesn't have that sallow, dull, lackluster, 
you know, fine-lined appearance. So they don't notice it as much. Mm-hmm. You know, even during the lockdown, my clients that are regular clients that I see all the time that use a great regime of skincare, they didn't miss the Botox as much as those who don't. So there definitely is a place for it. I can't say I've ever worked my magic that much that I've tightened the skin using a skincare product. I'm also very realistic, you know. I also say to them, you know, Photoshop and everything that we have accessible to us in marketing campaigns is fantastic. But no cream on the market is going to lift your sagging neck. Like it's it's just not going to happen. So I think that's also, we're very honest. We are very, very honest. It's not about, you know, that's, that's not about, you know, not everyone has the means to go and have a facelift either. So definitely we'll do whatever we can non-surgically for those patients. But for those that are, you know, up for doing it and can do it, no skincare is going to help like like that will. I wanted to ask both of you, and we'll maybe start with Dana. I love heel lights. I know David yes. loves heel lights, but h- how do you explain to a patient, you know, what it is, what's it going to generally do for them? Specifically, if it's like a non, you know, they just want to improve their, you know, general skin rejuvenation. They're not there for something specific. And versus, you know, those patients maybe with I don't know acne or or those sort of patients who need actually help with healing. How how do you describe the technology and what are they going to notice or not notice maybe start with dana well led lights usually come with different colors so you've got the infra uh, near infrared the red lights then you've got um the blue lights for acne and anti-inflammation and all that actually most of our patients are converts they're very well researched and we give it out like candy for free most of the time <laughs> you have a treatment we give you a helix don't have a treatment, we still give you a healing. Like we do it so often just um, for their benefit of the uh, just general benefit for their skin health. Um, it's like a no brainer to us. So I don't really have to explain it per se, but in those who want to know why it works, it's because the different wavelengths of the light activates the fibroblasts or, or tones down on the inflammation um, by killing bacteria, maybe sometimes even with the help of photodynamic um, therapy agents like uh, ALA or something like that. But that's more on the technical side. Because we do do some um, photodynamic therapy in clinic with Netflix and, and the like, not so much for acne, but generally it's for collagen stimulation. And for post-op, we use um, uh, the red light just because it penetrates deeper. Um, and for most uh, collagen stimulation, healing, that kind of stuff, um, the yellow or it actually alternates with the near infrared, which is colorless to the human eye. So, so just a bit of bioactivation, I would say. How about you, Nikki? What, what do you like about the lights? <laughs> Guys, that's the technical term for it. I just go with, I give everyone a heel light. I don't <laughs> that's the technical side of it. I just tell my clients, they're always like, what does this do? Why do I have to lie under it? I'm like, you're going to see the results. Just do it. Hmm. But I tell them it's like a gym workout for their skin. And I truly think it is. It oxygenates the skin, stimulates the collagen. You can see the glow. I know for a fact that if I have 10 minutes spare in a day, that is where you'll always find me and anyone in our clinic. But like Dana said, we literally give it out like lollipops. Everybody that comes in gets a light. And I think that the clients really see the benefit in it. But I don't get too, you know, too involved with them. Um, but I'll just tell them it's stimulating collagen, working on a much deeper level, and it's like a gym workout for your skin. And I'd have to sit there probably massaging you for two hours to get a similar result to what you're going to get lying under there with me not having to do anything for 17 minutes. <laughs> what do you notice in your skin after the lights? You like the lights? Uh, God, sometimes I just go under there just to chill out and not have to be on my phone <laughs> or check messages or so on. Oh, look, yeah. I, I just think, you know, I've been looking after my skin for a while now, so I think it just helps maintain. I definitely feel... 
Um, I can definitely feel um, the warmth in the skin. It feels like it, in, it sort of improves blood flow and supply. I feel like my skin just radiates. God, I sound like a real weirdo saying this now, don't I? <laughs> Set me up for this. <laughs> no, I just I just think it's also um, post-injectables. If I get a bruise, mm. find it definitely helps speed that up. Any sort of swelling or inflammation, it tends to make that heal up a lot more quickly. So I think that it's a, it's a nice adjunct, especially for injectables to sort of give people a bit of uh, reprieve from being attacked by needles. It's just a nice little way to end their time in your clinic or your business before they head back out into the world. It's sort of, it can be a bit full on, you know, someone comes in for a treatment during their lunch break or after work. And before you know it, you've got, you know, hundred needles in your face and you sort of walk out and you sort of a bit, it's just a nice way to sort of tail off and mm. leave someone leaving, <laughs> leaving your premises feeling nice and relaxed and not assaulted. Yeah, I agree. And, and Nikki's already said it, it helps the patient yeah. flow and, and the patient experience. And, it, and I love it because I fall asleep on them. I can fall asleep in five minutes and then you wake up to that annoying nee, 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 when it goes off. But, you, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like a 10 minute power nap. Someone dragging you off the bed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I don't know whether it's, well, obviously it's the light, but it's also just the relaxation. You feel good yeah. after it. I'm so big, big definitely, fan. definitely. It's all my clients will say at the end of it. Oh, I just feel like I lay in the sun for yes. 17 minutes. Yeah, I'm it's like, great. Yeah, not, not kind of, not kind of the, you know, what I'm looking for. But yeah, I think <laughs> that it's definitely that the relaxation factor of it. And they actually leave feeling like, oh, that was actually pretty nice. Not mm. like, oh, my God, that was absolute torture and I never want to go back. That's why I think we at Shape Clinic do it at the end of every treatment. Mm. Dana, is there any actual scientific evidence that it does help with bruising or swelling? I mean, I, I think it does, but I, I can't prove it. But what, what's your experience? I think it does help. I've, I've only got anecdotal evidence. And in fact, we've got a client that I've actually bruised last week who's been coming back for a few days. And you can actually see it lightening after every single session. So she's quite happy with the results of that. And on another note, I've got someone with severe rosacea that I've been treating for a while now. She's got, she's really savvy, does her own research. She's rented um, one of those LEDs at home for two weeks. Mm. I told her to go under it day and night. And her skin, she's come back today for a laser. She had um, pustules from breaking out a few weeks ago. It's completely resolved and her skin actually looks really healthy. So I think anecdotally, at least I've seen very good um, evidence behind, behind um, the fact that it works. Um, I just can't do randomized controlled trials um, to prove it with a large sample size because there's probably not much money in it um, for the manufacturers. They're selling many, um, they're selling enough at as, as it is. So there's really no need for them to pursue this level of evidence. But certainly with some of um, the more uh, famous brands like Helite, they do have papers from, um, I think it was Dr. Glenn Calder. Yep, Calderhead. Calderhead, yeah. 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 Um, the other question I wanted to ask um, and how you work in tandem is what treatments are you happy for Nikki to do after you've done injectables on the day? So if you've done toxin and or filler, would you be happy for a skin therapist to do anything or, or are you like a no, you know, at best a light and then you know, there's a period of time before you can, you know, say have a peel or a laser or something else? Or I generally around. leave um, two weeks, uh, two weeks between treatments, but most of the time, I'm happy to attack them after Nikki has away with them. Yeah, yeah, okay, so other way around. Yeah, so that's how we do it. We reverse it. Well, I asked because some injectors just have this blanket rule without any logic. That yeah, I just don't do it. You know, yeah. two weeks, and you're like, well, why? Mm. I could understand it if you were if Nikki was massaging and cleansing her face after toxin. That that would be silly. But do it the other way around, and no problem. Yeah. What? Yeah. 
What about things like makeup after treatment? Because I know particularly for women, you know, after you've had a treatment done and you might be feeling, you know, a little bit uh, vulnerable, a little bit self-conscious. And men. And men, yeah, particularly. I said I said mainly women. I wasn't <laughs> exclusively saying women. Um, but what do you recommend for that? I mean, is it is it a no-go zone for, for anything at all? Is mineral makeup okay? I know there are, you know, I think that uh, Mondial have got a product out called Oxygenetics. I think that they're specifically designed for injectables, uh, for sorry, for using after you've had injectable treatment. So, what's what's your position on that, and what do you recommend? Well, I've had a CO two, and I was quite desperate for some cover up um, <laughs> after I actually drove up to the Warriorwood headquarters, and they were kind enough to give me one. Uh, I was going to buy it from them, for the record. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, so I think it's actually quite nourishing and healing, and I would certainly be happy for my patients to use it after their injectable treatments, which I'm quite strict about usually. If they have a bit of um, anti-wrinkle, then we use a 31-gauge needle usually. Uh, if it's uh, about an hour after the treatment, I presume, I know it seals in minutes, but I'm just a bit careful with infection. So I prefer they leave it free for at least an hour before they wear whatever makeup there is. Uh, and they should really use clean makeup. I don't like grubby fingers and use reuse sponges and brushes for, for makeup after injectable treatments. And for um, things like microneedling, uh, fractional or ablative type lasers, I generally prefer they don't. But if um, they really have to, then the oxygenetics is not a bad idea because I did feel that it had um, it helped with my healing after my CO2. Mm. Yeah. Excellent. And and did you say fillers as well? What's your rule after fillers? Fillers, for okay. With fillers, depends on whether I use a sharp needle or a cannula. Sharp needles usually only go up to maybe 27 gauge. Mm -hmm. For um, biosimulators, I sometimes have to use a slightly bigger one, so maybe 25 gauge or something like that. If I use a bigger gauge needle, I prefer they leave it free for 24 hours or yeah. I stick a flesh-colored stereo strip on it to stop them from touching it until the needle um, the needle hole actually seals over. Yeah. yeah. I just don't want to create problems if it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. What about for you, Nikki, with things like peels and, and so on where you might be sort of compromising the skin barrier and, and so on? Yeah, so I prefer clients actually stay without makeup and I will generally ask them to do that for that day. Obviously, there's the exception if people are going out to dinner that night, then I would prefer, yes, a mineral makeup. Um, the Jane Ardell is also really good. Sometimes people like the It Cosmetic CC cream because it's got a bit of a tint with a SPF 50 in it as well. Um, but, yeah, I would prefer that they left their skin neat, but I don't know when they leave. Yeah potentially what they're doing but I think that is specifically my regulars well they know that about me so they wouldn't you know they wouldn't come on a day that they were going out or that they had something on I also like them to leave the you know barrier repairing ingredients on the skin and potentially you know especially if they're not doing anything that afternoon go to sleep with it on and then cleanse as usual the next morning because the skin is a little bit more fragile um so yeah that's my take on it it's insightful. I mean, I think, as we said, you know, lots of cosmetic injectors listening to this podcast, and I just think it's it's an interesting and important educational piece to understand how it all fits together. Definitely think there's um, this conversation proves that there is serious benefit to working alongside a skin therapist, a dermal therapist, um, and also having um, injectors starting to educate themselves a little more than, than sort of just what they can do with a needle is having an understanding of what's going on holistically. If they don't do the treatment themselves, have an understanding of what's available, have people that they can refer to, even if they don't have someone within their clinic, maybe they've got a relationship with someone that, that specializes in, in skin treatments who they can bounce patients back and forth from. There's that element of trust and also confidence in, in each other's abilities.
Yeah, and thank you both for your insights. It's uh, always nice to sort of see how different businesses work and, and how different teams work together. I'm sure people listening have learned a lot. We'll obviously put your um, details, uh, which you're happy to share, at the bottom of the podcast description so people can reach out if they've got any questions. Any parting comments from, from either of you? We'll start with Nikki. No, thank you guys for having me. I think, as you said, it's, you know, it's a really important um, thing that we we should discuss more of because I think there is a direct, as I said, connection between the skin and injectors. And if you want to get a great outcome, a great aesthetic outcome, whether it be surgical, whether it be um, cosmetic treatments, you know, the skin plays a huge part. And I think that that's what our clients are looking for. So it definitely is worth exploring a bit more. Fantastic. And Dana? No, I'm great. Uh, always a pleasure to be on and always happy to help. Excellent. <laughs> Thank you well, very Nikki, much. I might be coming in to see you soon, Nikki. Um, I definitely need to sort out my skincare routine. So maybe we'll have... Uh... Well, hold on. What about the, the couple's uh, DMK enzyme mask? Well, well, you want to do them yeah, together? Yeah, yeah. Hold hands? Coming, yeah I want to hold hands. <laughs> we're going to have to, we'll, we're gonna have to take, get two beds into one room, yeah? Yeah. Uh, and we'll torture you both. Yeah, you we want ro- rose petals on the ground. Romantic, Foot bit massages. Of, bit of Enya playing in the 100%. background. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, re- the red carpet treatment exactly. for you. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, guys. Really nice to talk, and we'll speak soon. Thank you, guys. Thank you. See you soon. Thank you. For our latest news, upcoming guests, and episode topics, follow us on Instagram at Inside Aesthetics Podcast. Using the link in our Instagram profile, you can easily email us, text us, apply to be a guest on the show, follow our personal accounts on Instagram, and even show your love and support us on Patreon. 